There's a lisp. I'm sorry. Investigates what? Why is that a stunt? Yeah, that's oh, oh, that's that's, that's, that's just that's, formation well, flying. Read, read, read what the what the uh, article says. Oh, okay. Read read that carefully. There's there's three or four gems in there, man. Okay. Read that. <laughs> all right. so, let's just explain. All right, let's explain to people what we're talking about <laughs> oh, here. All right. Oh, it's it's a classic. What I, we're talking I, about here is the story that's come out. Something on Facebook a few minutes ago about this. Yeah. Holy man. I'm I, awful sorry was, to hear that, but okay, go ahead. Well, it was there was the window was there at the bottom of the page, and I said, "Yeah, why not? I haven't I haven't intimidated uh, Facebook uh, followers lately." So, um, <laughs> uh, this um, is from the story that's it's kind of gotten a lot of a lot of traction over the last couple of days uh, because apparently the FAA is is I don't know people want the FAA to investigate this skydiving sex stunt. All right, so this is the deal where uh, where a couple. Yeah. Are, are you saying are you saying that the that the FAA doesn't want to investigate this? I don't know. That's, not, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm hearing at all. Well, all right. So so let me just give give people the background here. So everybody's heard this story by now, I'm sure. But what happened? I hadn't. I hadn't until this moment. So you really hadn't heard this, David? Well, it's only, I, I hadn't heard no, this. Dude, I've been kind of. Yeah, yeah a couple the last day or so. It's pretty new. Anyways, um, so uh, skydiving operation someplace. I'm not looking. at I don't have the story on my screen here. Where where is it located here? Uh, San, no, well, the NBC San Diego is the one that's Kern County. I don't know where that is. Kern County, uh, California. California. Okay. So a skydiving operation called Skydive Taft, all right, which is apparently, you know, by day, a normal <laughs> skydiving operation. <laughs> said Taft. What's that? Nothing. I was doing a Beavis. Okay. And, I was uh, doing a Beavis. Buddy. One of the uh, skydive instructors, apparently, or one of the regulars at this skydive op- operation, apparently, according to the story I read, let's see now, it turns oh, out no, to be no, like no, some no. sort of porno Jack, movie Jack. star. Yeah, Jack. Let me let me let me let me do this. All right, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, here, here's the. I'm just taking these in order. There's five graphs here of any interest in this story, and let's let's just do them one at a time. The FAA says it is looking into quote unquote. A videotaped skydiving sex stunt to determine if the pilot might have been distracted during the incident over Kern County. All right. All right. First of all, show me the regulation that says a pilot cannot be distracted. I know. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, how, how, this, this yeah as long as nothing else happens, you're right. This, this doesn't even go careless and reckless. The, the airplane's being flown completely uh, competently by, by evidence that, you know, obviously nothing happened here. Um, so, all right. Okay. So the FAA spokesman, Ian Greger, Dave, you've probably talked to him. I've talked to him. Says any activity that could distract the pilot while he's flying could be a violation of federal regulations. Show me where it says that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, show me. Show me where it's. Show me a reg. Show me a far that says that. All right. Well, careless um, and reckless, right? Okay. Although right. I don't know if these regs apply to the passengers. Do they? No. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. You're doing good. How many? How many? How many certificates does the average passenger have? I okay. know, it, but you know. All right. Now, it gets better though, man. We're not there yet. So the owner of this dive, this uh, of this uh, jump zone, says he fired the male, the instructor, the the porn star, part time porn star or full time porn star, Alex Torres. But here, stand by for this. It, he hasn't decided whether to fire the company's receptionists, receptionist, the woman, Tori's partner in the video. So he, so he's let, <laughs> he's letting the guy go, right? But he's keeping the girl. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, now, do you? Th- if I wrote a script 
like that. Do you really think I'd be able to sell that? I don't know. Because you can't make this up. Yeah, okay. close the loop. Okay, yeah. The, the, the closing the loop is uh, the video shows the two having sex in a plane before jumping out in tandem and continuing the act in midair. Um, but here's the deal. The FAA just wants a good, clean copy of the video. That's all that's going on here, okay? That's that's the sum total of the whole thing. So the the whole story is just perfect. It's it's a one hundred and ten, you know, one hundred and one percent story. It's just it, it, everything about it is just spot on. Here's the thing: uh, they actually allow tandem jumping. Exactly. Well, but that's not what they mean by it normally. I think. no, but I mean, but it, it's still legal. Jump zones that you know they check out groups in it. They, 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 you know, the jumpers that do it have to be trained and and they get checked out in doing tandems. Uh, this is something that they let first timers do. Yeah. Now you know Here's how they're how they're David. How you are clear dressed. on what we're talking about here, right? This wasn't your normal everyday tandem jump. Well, duh. Jack, 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 yeah, Jack, what, Jack. What, what? It's not like these people thought of this just last week, okay? <laughs> this has happened before. <laughs> with, with, how long have we had tandem rigs? This has yeah. happened before. This is not something new and, and evil that we, have to, that we have to find laws against. This has been going on since we had tandem uh, uh, rigs. It, it's, nothing, it's a nothing burger. <laughs> uh, this, this story is just, it's, it's, it's an 11. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> have either of you ever heard of or know of anybody? So you hear all the time about people who do who do you know mile high club kind of stuff in the back of the Cherokee. Or I, the- I remember uh, I remember a uh, uh, more than one instance in the past few years. I've I've worked as a writer and a reporter in this business for just long enough to remember when uh, actual uh, what do you call it relative work coitus occurred. <laughs> okay. Okay, and both jumpers were in free fall. This wasn't a tandem rig. Oh, really? They were they were dressed appropriately. Well, that like, takes for, skill for yeah. the for for the kind of uh, relative work that they were going to do. Well, do you do you really? Do you, I mean, come on. I mean, again. and they started it in the airplane, and right. went out the door together. So it was very close relative work. And then once uh, you know the the question on the ground was always whether uh, you know that. Whether this was another minute man uh, or whether he lasted the whole jump until they had to pull, pull the canopies. Well, but only so one of them had to pull a canopy to end the whole thing. So, so he, he, he's a porn star, supposedly a porn star. If he, if he wasn't before, he is now. <laughs> so so um, we, have to, we have to give him the presumption of doubt here. Well, and, and, and even if. The, you know the cold air of altitude, and the, uh, the, the, the th- and and the thought of uh, you know uh, free fall exposure uh, well, see, it caused any kind of uh, uh, constraints careful. on the part of the guy. Well, there he, are medications that will help assure his ability to participate you, to you also to the Dave, hill. Dave, 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 you also have to consider the the rapid. Uh, uh, and sometimes dangerous pressure changes <laughs> when, when free falling. So yeah. I, we don't know how high they they made this jump from. They could have been, you know, uh, in the in the five digit range easily. 
Oh uh, yeah. To do, it, to, to do it right. Of course. Yeah. You know. and, <laughs> yeah well, you know, like Dave says, you may not need all that much time, but, um, <laughs> what, uh, how, what, what, what are the effects of this altitude change, David? How should I know? <laughs> well, no, you brought it up. <laughs> no, that was Jeb just talking about the altitude changes. No, uh, well, we no, I think I was just talking is, about it being cold. You got a big open door there when you come out of that airplane, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, it's it, and let's say you go to twelve five to allow for full explo- exploitation of the potential, so to uh, speak. Yeah. So to speak, uh, well, that'll give you a solid, you know, seventy to uh, eighty seconds of free fall, maybe you know ninety before you open at a comfortable altitude. And since they were in a tandem rig, uh, you know, they had time to spare. They went by air. <laughs> but Jack, so, yeah. Jack, you asked about the pressure difference. Yeah. Well, what's the effect of well, this? Well, of course, the pressure is is much less at altitude. No, I understand that, and and it, and it gets progressively greater as you descend. And of course, you're doing it rather rapidly. Now, I'm not uh, uh, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a doctor. Okay, I don't know what the physiological uh, um, uh, changes might be, especially in in the 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 act of love. Um, so I I would volunteer to research this <laughs> further. You need a volunteer to go uh, with you. But <laughs> I need a yeah. So so right away there's there's a problem. But uh, uh, I guess we'll just have to forego this. This uh, you got to stop there. Or my tongue's going to need stitches. <laughs> okay, okay. So, welcome, folks, to the, the 256th episode no, of Uncontrolled no, 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 Airspace. No, no, no. no, this is why this is why it's my job and not yours. Welcome, folks, to episode 258 of oh, Uncontrolled. I airspace the general aviation podcast we should have saved it for 269 we are recording this episode on uh on don't go there uh, october 14th it's friday october 14th uh, 2011 lucky friday and uh lucky lucky friday oh okay yeah all right lucky friday missed we missed uh, the 13th friday the 13th background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really no good background noise That's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. Now. does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> <laughs> and you're on site clear around turkey central ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and alpha let me say hi to my friends who are here with me in the hangar today. I, this is could this is just not boating well already, but uh, <laughs> no. uh, 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 all concerned about pressure change is our good friend Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing this evening? <laughs> oh, pretty good. Good week. Um, um, had a good day today. Uh, getting some stuff done. Um, looking forward to the weekend. Now. Okay, so I have to say that um, I'm intrigued at the idea that you've actually had now power boats on your little lake in the back of your yard. Well, oh, an uh, airboat, dude. Yeah, an I know. Air, now, folks, you should boat. understand. Regular listeners will know that Jeb has a pond in his backyard. Um, it's a medium-sized pond. I wouldn't call it small, but I wouldn't call it large. It's, it's about an acre. Yeah, and it has an island in the middle, so the water is kind of donut-shaped, although the, there's a bridge that goes out from, from one shoreline to oh, this island. Oh, mm. come, remind me to come back to the bridge. 
Okay. So, um, and and we've been speculating ever since Jeb moved into this place about the idea of getting some sort of watercraft that we could uh, have some fun with on his lake. And we were talking about, you know, raising the bridge or making into a drawbridge so we could do laps. And But, but nothing's ever come of it until recently you actually had a, an airboat, one of those Everglade kind of boats with the big propeller on the back. Um, yeah, this this was a this was a re- relatively small uh, example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and uh, it was a crew I had uh, come out to uh, try to kill off some of the the uh, uh, vegetation in the lake. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a lot of aquatic plants in the lake, and uh, uh, had removed a lot of them, uh, about half of them anyway, mechanically just by hand. A panda guy. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. Um, and oh, we spent uh, a little about, bit of time out there dragging. Well, you, that's right. You, yeah. you and, and the three of us actually worked on that yeah, for a so morning or an afternoon nothing, or something. But, uh, I know you had. Uh, yeah, I, 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 had a, I held a rope or something. You <laughs> yeah, know. that's right. Uh, but um, <laughs> Pull now. <laughs> I came back after I got back from Oshkosh, and I had a fairly clean, uh, I had a lot of open water before I left for Oshkosh. I got back, I'm flying downwind, and the thing is almost completely green. Yeah. Uh, so I had to get some some uh, people. Mother to come Nature's a bitch, I'll tell you. you know? Mother Nature is a bitch. Uh, I think I dated her once. I'm not. Sure. No, no, no. It's okay. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, so um, you hired the yeah, experts. Um, so, so I hired some experts to come out and spray uh, chemicals and kill all these weeds and everything. And one of the tools they used was an airboat. It yeah. was uh, just a wide John boat. I uh, had an O200 mounted on it. Some kind of plastic four bladed fixed pit prop. Uh, the whole rig was really kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, did they like get up to speed? Did they get it up on a plane? Oh no, they... no. He he he, oh, he went he went to he went to full power a couple of times, but that was only to hop over the weeds. Yeah, okay, all right. And also here in in the virtual hangar is uh, is uh, I don't know fascinated by some aspect of this parachuting thing is Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you doing tonight? Uh, doing great. Doing great. Back home last night after a few few days in lovely uh, neon lit lost wages at the National Business Aviation yeah, Association. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But other than that, what's going on? Uh, just kind of catching up on things. Uh, got uh, just a lot of stuff to digest, to, to fold into things, to unfold clothes, do laundry, get back in the groove of being you know here at home base again. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to coming to you from high atop Lookout Point uh, in easy, what? easy for you to say. No, not at all. Uh, in uh, in uh, very very soon now, all of the teams that I ever supported will be out of the uh, out of the uh, re- baseball playoffs. Nottingham, New Hampshire. And the world will we will be back on its correct axis, or or not, as the case may be. It's it's uh, it's a now, rough year for we, my baseball picks. Yeah, David. Before we leave this, two questions come to mind about the uh, about the uh, air, 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 airborne triple X uh, in the tandem skydiving. One is the uh, they, they 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 never mentioned the fate of the pilot here. They didn't get up there by accident. I mean, unless Alex Torres is a bigger porn star than I ever imagined and can pole vault to that altitude. No, 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 no. There was a, one of the regular <laughs> jump pilots apparently took them up. Um, there was a, one of the stories. No, was on, the, the jump pilot is the guy who's apparently, uh, I was going to say, <laughs> uh, I was going to say something about in a ringer, but I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> Now, if any of this is if if any of this has titillated you to trying to imagine what it would look like 
falling out of an airplane in any state of dress oh, whatsoever, uh, we turn your attention to this uh, uh, this uh, video of a hundred hundred and first airborne trooper delivering the game ball to yeah, a Michigan yes. University game because then you get to see what it's like coming down. Yeah. Now, now this is actually a cool video. This has nothing to do with the sex thing. This is just a this is a, a head mounted camera or a shoulder mounted camera of a guy who was. Uh, uh, just as you described, um, delivering, I don't know, oh, the game ball, that's what it was, to uh, to a Michigan game. Yeah. And, and I suggest that you try to imagine yourself having sex coming down naked in front of that no, crowd. See, you can't get off. And actually you? being able to do it. Let it go, David. Just let it go. Yeah, <laughs> we already got ourselves in enough David, trouble. I, I, was, I was so thankful that he, he just rebooted this episode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> by, by, tran- by, by sliding right over to another parachuting story. Okay, but then he had to go and screw it up. He had to connect it back. He had to go connect it back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, these are cool videos. I've seen these before. These these are really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, really- it's really quite a shot. Uh, it, it it gave me flashbacks to, to uh, a couple of jumps that I made where I was afraid I was going to land and, on people, but uh, fortunately I didn't. And and one of the – I mean there's a lot of cool things about this video. Uh, he starts – obviously starts way high. Um, and you can see the stadium on the ground as he looks down because it's – I guess it must be head-mounted camera because you can see where he's looking. Um, every now and then you'll see him like glance at the altimeter on his wrist you know, or, or look here or look there. Yeah, and, if you're quick, you can pause the video just long enough to get a look at what the altimeter says. Yeah. And so uh, uh, he uh, free fall for a ways and then pops the chute and uh, he's doing some kind of extreme maneuvers with the chute. Like, and I, you know, uh, I thought it was interesting how – how, how hard he had to pull on the on the the strings, the ropes, the you know the lines in order to get the chute to do things. I mean, every now and then he would grab, he would reach up with both hands to his right, and he would grab one of those lines, and he would just like pull it up seemingly as hard as he possibly could, um, in order to get the chute. I think it, it seemed to me like he was making the chute spin, but whatever. Exactly. It was. Yeah. You hit it right on the head. And this uh, wasn't the normal new maneuvering toggles. Uh, which will let you turn quite nicely, uh, particularly if you pull one all the way down close to your kneecap. What he was doing is closing up, you know, several cells on one end so that it basically pitched his body out to, uh, I don't know, 30, 40 degrees. We've seen this at air shows and fly-ins where the guys will be, you know, nearly, it looks nearly horizontal at times, but they're corkscrewing down with the smoke coming off the heel and the flag behind them, and it's a way of losing altitude fast and staying in the neighborhood when you're in a lot of wind. Uh, this, it also makes it happen quicker and gives people some more eye candy to watch. Yeah. But yeah, he's pulling like hell on the risers on one side. Yeah. And now, how does it work, David? You you have obviously have some experience with, with, with uh, jumping parachutes. If one of those lines broke, it wouldn't be the end of the world, right? They're pretty redundant, I would imagine, right? No, if one of those if one of those lines broke, it would not be the end of the world. It would affect which you know your, your linear stability just right. a little bit. It, it would want to create because, uh, a permanent turn. I was watching him heave on this line, and I'm thinking, man, because you know, and these are like this, this little parachute cord, right? It's not really very you know thick rope. And I'm thinking, man, he's pulling that thing. What would you, you know? It's like if it broke in your hands, you well, go, oh it, crap! Those right. lines have tremendous breaking strength. Yeah, uh, they probably, you know, yeah, I'm sure hundreds of pounds tension each, yeah. multiplied by all those. They're they're not carrying a whole lot of load, and the biggest work they do is the opening shock. 
right. when you pull the ripcord. And, and you think you got to be able to do that while in full freefall, which should get you up to right. 120, 125 miles an hour. Well, and yeah, and I can, I can totally imagine that they're not carrying an awful lot of load. It's just that he was tugging on them so hard. I'm thinking, man, is he exceed? But, you know, obviously he isn't exceeding. He knows what he's doing. No, okay. no. And, and remember, okay. the, whatever he's doing is still spread out over multiple lines. Yeah, Jeb, go. Dave, you, you've done some jumping, right? You, you, you've I made before. 10 jumps. Okay, okay. So I'm curious about this jolt when the canopy opens. How, how does that manifest itself? How sharp of a jolt is it? And uh, more, most importantly, can you choose the timing thereof? Oh, yeah. Well, it depends. If you're doing a static line jump like my first four, uh, the parachute starts to come out of the bag when you're about 30 feet from the airplane because the static line's actually That's a static the line airplane. jump, right. Right, that's a static line. It opens the bag up. It pulls the canopy, which is folded up, uh, sometimes in its own little slip bag. It pulls it out full length. That slip bag comes off. The lines get full stretch, and then it fills with air. On a static line, the whole thing lasts about two and a half seconds, and it's not all that big of a jolt. Uh, with a square parachute... Going terminal velocity, uh, it still takes about you know two seconds, two and a half seconds for a full sequence, maybe three. Uh, the deceleration is more pronounced, uh -huh. but then you're going a lot faster because uh -huh. uh, so you, you know 45, got... 50 feet out of the airplane on a static line, you're probably only going 30 miles an hour. So, so that that's something that you can control. I mean, you can choose to within two or three seconds then when you want that event to occur. Absolutely. When you're in free fall, yep, you got the handle, uh -huh. you pull the even, handle. Even if you were a porn, e e yeah, e even <laughs> if you were a even if you were a porn star with a receptionist, right? Uh it's presuming that she wasn't somehow uh engaging in blockage of the ripcord. Uh you know, the, the idea of oh, here I go. Sometimes the idea of pull is not the exact thing you want to happen at that time. I would guess it would it, the orientation would matter greatly. Uh absolutely. Absolutely. Face down, face up, back down, uh, head down. Uh, you can get it in all those attitudes in free fall. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and of course, the natural tendency for the sh for when the parachute, when the canopy opens, is to be jerked upward. Is that correct? Uh, that's what it looks like from the ground, is to be jerked upward. But actually, all that's happening is you're being stood up and slowed down real quickly. Yeah, you're decelerating. It's just, it's, it's a G. And, and, and since in a tandem jump, the other person is harnessed so close to you with multiple points, uh, that even if you got those lines stretched to their maximum, it should not be far enough to equal the average length of the average skydiver. Okay, we, we just we just crossed over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, two some, things I want to talk some, about here. Some line, some zone, some... <laughs> two things I want to talk about here. First of all, I just want to get back to this video of the guy uh, delivering the game ball to the Michigan game. All right. See, um, now there's, there's, there, there's problems even with that whole idea, the game ball. 
How, but go ahead. All right. Um, the two other things I found notable this. First of all was that even though this was a football stadium, and this is Michigan, so it's a big football stadium, all right? And yet it looked like a very small target. I mean, and I there were, you know, parallax things and perspective things with the camera and all. But nevertheless, I'm watching this guy, you know, his perspective. And I'm thinking, whoa, he's, you know, he actually going to land in this thing? I guess he is, you know, and I knew he was because I see it happen all the time. So that was interesting. The other thing, all kidding aside, the thing that was almost kind of gave you goosebumps all right was so there was actually audio you heard audio from the camera and most of the time it was the wind noise but there was a there was a threshold where he reached the point where he could suddenly hear the crowd in the stadium and yeah. it was kind of cool spooky the t- as as he got into that zone of being able to hear the crowd to hear the crowd screaming you know i mean it was just very very cool um cool video and uh, exceptionally exceptionally neat and look if you look at this at the beginning that football state stadium is in the middle of a fairly well developed area oh yeah i mean diagonally across from it uh, to the upper left of the f- picture that's on there, it looks like a huge parking lot, which you'd need for a huge stadium like that. But then around it, it's like houses and streets, mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, it and it that be not a place to 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 not stick your postage. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was pretty cool. Uh, now, so the other thing I wanted to bring up here, I and this isn't on the list, but the, since we're talking about skydiving here, I want to talk about this a little bit. Um, I think I shared with you guys an email that we got from a listener. Uh, listener Paul F. Um, wrote to us, uh, and the head and the, the subject line in his in his uh, in his email was, "I love the podcast, but I'm a little disappointed this morning." All right, I remember this. And yeah. uh, with with very good intentions, um, and, you know, and very respectfully. Uh, Paul uh, let us know that he was unhappy with something that we talked about. Um, this goes back to the conversation we had uh, a couple episodes ago about Jeb Corliss, the guy who flies the wingsuit, all right, right, and uh, and and is somewhat fond of flying close to train. And and we had a lot of fun with this. And I used references like Rocky the Flying Squirrel, and we were just pretty down on this guy, and we kind of made light of the whole thing, all right. Yeah. And um, um, Jeb, uh, not Jeb, uh, Paul F. All right, is uh, 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 takes us to task. A little bit here because he says, and I think this is fair on his part. Um, I, I think he, I think he's fair too. I yeah. think he's very fair. Is yeah. that uh, it, it, well? And the only part of it that I, my, in our defense, or at least my defense, all right, I didn't realize that there were there's a community of people doing this wingsuit thing. All right, I kind of thought this Jeb Corliss guy was kind of like you know one of a handful of people. I, I kind of did too. You know yeah. who are doing this thing and are in still in my view being pretty reckless about it. Turns out, according to Paul F, um, there is a community of uh, primarily out of the skydiving ranks, uh, people who you to fly these wingsuits. All right, and uh, and it seems that many of them fly just just you know much more reasonably. Don't fly so close to the terrain and. You know, kind of just use it as to to enhance the free fall thing, I guess. I mean, I'm not very knowledgeable about this. But uh, first of all, let me say that to, to those people who do wing flying, wingsuit flying in, in a little bit more responsible or traditional way, I apologize for the, the kind of callousness of uh, comments. We were joking around and having fun with this. Yeah. Um, I still think that Jeb Corliss is kind of a crazy person and uh, is going to get himself hurt badly one of these days and going to cause trouble for not only the wingsuit folks, but yeah. all of us. But that's another subject. Turns out, I guess, that there are a lot of people doing this. Um, um, I uh, responded to Paul F. and, and sort of apologized and, and, and acknowledged that his comments were pretty fair. He responded to me, and I did not share this with you guys. Um, I'll just read you three paragraphs here. 
He said, to answer your question about flying close to, because I asked him, do, do all these wingsuit guys fly close to the terrain like this? And he says about flying close to terrain in wingsuiting, uh, this is called proxy flying, short for proximity, proximity, all right? And it's a fringe area of the sport, Paul F. says. He says, the participants are among the best of the best in base jumping and perhaps in wingsuit flying. And frankly, most skydivers and many wingsuiters consider them crazy. They sure do get airplay, though, and their activities make for really popular video. So to answer your question, there is a pretty large community of wingsuiters out there, at least in terms of the population that skydives. Of those, a very small fraction do proxy flights. Most are exiting an aircraft at 10K to 13K AGL and deploying at 3 to 4K AGL after covering a few miles of horizontal distance. Yeah, that's the, that's the kick. You know, and so that sounds very cool. If I was into, if I was all at all inclined, to jump out of an airplane uh, under any circumstances, which kind of brings us back to our earlier conversation, um, the wingsuit flying thing would be kind of cool to be able to kind of stretch out your arms and kind of, you know, glide. That would that would be kind of cool. And uh, um, so uh, uh, we'll ask Jeff to put links to all of this stuff. Uh, Paul F. has given me the links to uh, a number of wingsuit uh, flying uh, websites and things like that. And uh, we'll put all this into the show notes and maybe into a blog entry. And uh, you can take a look. But uh, Quick and uh, dirty. Quick and dirty. Yeah. When I was actively hang gliding and when I was, uh, you know, considering whether to become part of the skydiving community, which came first, uh, both communities had issues with... Uh, participants that pushed the edges beyond what the bulk of the participant felt was a safe norm and a norm that was, uh, you know, not going to be terribly damaging when they finally misjudged for themselves and, and, and did themselves in. And the rationalization we always had about not completely ostracizing or booting them out of the community was that the only person that would pay a big penalty would be themselves. Uh, for jumpers that I was jumping with early on and hanging around with, the rush was, how late can you go and open? Right. That and beyond be- a certain point, you basically uh, take your backup system out of the picture because there's not yeah. time to deploy. Yeah. Among the hang gliding community, we had uh, we we had a small small number of guys that like to cliff. They like to dive at cliffs, dive at ramps snatch objects out of the hands of some, you know, Coke conspirator. Sometimes it'd be a dollar bill. Sometimes it'd be a, you know, a bottle, you know, it'd be a, a, a drink. The guy would dive down and snatch it out of the hand of somebody. Uh, we, one of the clubs I belong to, we would basically refund your money and escort you to the, to the edge of the property for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. we had an incident where the, the duo much practiced, uh, took it a little bit too far and knocked somebody off the ramp. Uh, it was not great for the guy flying the glider. It was really bad for the guy that was knocked off the ramp. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's not unusual. Uh, but, man, for video and for a sense of speed, uh, you know, we had guys that flew along cliff edges and treetop rows and, and uh, ridge sword going really fast, really tucked 20, 30 feet. Uh, it made great video. Yeah. Made great video. You just can't screw up. There's right. just no zero margin. Right. 
So our thanks to uh, listener Paul F. for setting us straight on this. And uh, our yes, apologies. Yes, very, very much appreciated. Yeah. And yeah, our apologies absolutely. to the larger wingsuit flying community for kind of, you know, based on uh, just looking at Jeb Corliss's activities for, for making so much light of it. It sounds like a pretty interesting pursuit if done, you know, a little bit more responsibly. And, uh, um, you know, not for me, but cool, I guess, right? You know, and uh, wingsuit flying. Well, it, it, and, it, and the nice thing about it is if, you know, somebody really augers in doing that kind of prox flying and they're video having a videotape from multiple vantage points like we've seen on some of these, uh, it'll be really helpful to the investigators. Yeah. <laughs> David, you just got back from a road trip. Road trip. Road trip. Where'd you go? Last Wages, yeah. NBAA number 64 uh, at the Las Vegas Convention Center. NBAA, uh, of course, is the uh, National, Business National Business Aviation Association. And this is their big shindig, their big gathering, their big con- convention expo thing um, each year. And uh, so what's the news? What, what was going on there? What was the – tell us about it. Well, uh, there were there were a couple of interesting things announced there. There's some new things that were announced just before – uh, Cessna uh, unveiled a new citation in the uh, upper mid cabin category. They're calling the latitude. Uh, looks to have some real potential. Uh, it's kind of to uh, meet a challenge from Brazilian plane makers in particular, a lot of people feel. Uh, when you say Brazilian plane makers, do you mean Embraer or there are others? I mean Embraer. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, an outfit called uh, Ruag from Germany is trying to resurrect what used to be the Dornier 212, uh, which is a 19-passenger regional airliner slash utility airplane. Uh, has some good economic numbers. Good to see. Eclipse, uh, which now has a substantial uh, uh, relationship, uh, financial and ownership with Sikorsky helicopter, uh, is going to be resuming production uh, of an airplane they're calling the Eclipse 550. Uh, let's see. Uh, Rockwell Collins was showing off a uh, uh, an upgrade path for the many thousands of turbine aircraft that have their ProLine 21 system. Uh, the upgrade converts it to a all-touchscreen-controlled avionics package. Uh, really clever thinking and how they designed this to work with the old equipment. Uh, outfit called Exojet, which is uh, has has their own version of a shared ownership program. They're ordering some upgraded, modified uh, Hawkers from Hawker Beechcraft. Uh, that will be kind of a, a good boost for them. Uh, the Russians signed deals for the airliner that uh, they're uh, well. It's it's an airliner, but it'll be used as a business jet for aircraft that they're bringing to market. Uh, there was a big influx in uh, attendees from overseas, up 23%. Uh, yeah, 23% uh, from last year. Uh, many, many, many of them from Asia. China made a lot of big news there. The attendance was up over last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's what I was going to ask you. What was the general mood? Were people in, you know, kind of feeling upbeat, or you know, it was kind of it. It kind of wasn't. Wow, man, things are kicking butt. But it was also a long way from the malaise we felt three years ago in the shell shock of the year after that, <laughs> and the kind of neutral zone feel of last year, where it was like, well, 
you know, congratulations, we're all still here. Right. Uh, there were some there was some good energy in the show. Uh, the vendors that uh, visited with me were were particularly happy with the quality of the crowd they got, and there were a thousand one hundred and six vendors. I did not talk to all of them. Uh, that was up a couple of percentage points from 2010. You know, I followed so. you around. I've followed you around at many air shows, and quite frankly, I'm surprised to hear you say that you didn't talk to every one of them because it seems <laughs> that you often do talk to every single one of them. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. David. That's all right. That's all right. That's a, and that's very nice of you. That's very appreciated. Uh, yeah, I've had people not want to follow me around after a day uh, on other occasions at other shows. Uh, attendance don't get was, me wrong. I'm jealous of your ability to schmooze like this you know it's like it's really great but you know those of us who are not quite as 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 uh, connected um sometimes are left out of these conversations so uh, yeah i'm surprised it, you didn't it, talk it, 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 it's difficult to un- overcome my innate shyness <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right your innate shyness well that's a that's an episode title right there dave's uh, innate shyness <laughs> yeah that is there were about 20 there were a little over twenty six thousand people almost twenty six thousand one hundred. Uh, that's up a full 7% from last year's show in Atlanta. Uh, it's off a good percent from the last time uh, NBAA went to Las Vegas. But that was 2004, and the industry was just rocking and right. socking in those days. Mm-hmm. So I look at this 26,000-plus, at them getting back over 26,000, uh, as, as a, pretty positive, a pretty positive indicator. Uh, a lot of the smaller vendors and suppliers seem to be eyeing more activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, fuel cool. f- fuel seems to be going down. Uh, the price at uh, I think they were getting five sixty for kerosene at uh, Vegas North and five thirty self service on hundred low lead. Uh, and the cost of fuel coming down is nothing but a good thing for anybody that flies anything mm-hmm. yeah. except a sailplane. Yeah. Now, one thing, um, not to suggest that this is the biggest story of the week, but it's something that kind of catches my attention. This whole thing about Eclipse resuming production um, is is kind of intriguing to me. This is just a great story. This is a company that that... I mean, this is a company that sort of invented, you know, very light jets, all right? You know, I mean, not invented it, but kind of was the... I don't know how you want to characterize it. The first one, the big one, the one that really kind of popularized it. They they were the one that gave it a face. Right. That then crashed and burned, not to, you know, use that metaphor too lightly, all right, but just kind of just just you know, overdid it and for various reasons, you know, was gone and and you would you wouldn't have been surprised that they were gone forever. And yet think are, think more of a Titanic analogy, okay. Well, exactly. And yet you know they're like rising to float and cruise again here all right this is uh this is pretty interesting the the uh, eclipse you know what's the name of the new company that now owns the whole deal it's eclipse i forget it's got a slightly different name doesn't it like eclipse aerospace or something like that uh, uh yeah uh it's not kind yeah. of it's funny it's absent from this story eclipse aerospace bought the assets for pennies on the dollar yeah eclipse right. aerospace yeah. 
So, uh, you know, having gotten rid of all that debt. Bucks from Sikorsky, which is interested in some very useful technology. Yeah. So having, you know, managed to shed, and it's too bad for all the folks that lost money on it. I mean, genuinely, it's too bad, all right? But um, man, by managing to shed all that debt and all that obligation, financial obligation, they were able to now kind of, you know, you know, revive the, the, uh, the uh, you know, um, inherent qualities of this airplane and uh, it's it's pretty interesting my question for you about eclipse for both of you um is so when when eclipse when the original eclipse you know crashed and burned not to overuse that metaphor all right but when they went away um there were still at that time a lot of stories about how even the shipping eclipses had all kinds of gotchas you know had all kinds of limitations and they had been hadn't been certified for this or that or whatever I, I completely yeah. lost track of what's become of all that. All the eclipses that were delivered and have kept flying all along, have they gotten all of these little, you know, gutches cleared up? Or what's the latest? For, Do you know? For the most part, yeah, they actually have. Yeah. Uh, some here's one of the goofy things about eclipses' original life, is that airplanes are are very often built in production blocks. And the Block 1 airplanes, the Block 1 Eclipses, lacked a whole lot of stuff that the last block had built into them. Uh, and as things were certified and made available on first production airplanes, uh, upgrades at the factory or through them were made available. So pretty much everything that was originally promised eventually happened, but it didn't all happen until after Eclipse Aerospace had the assets and closed the loop so that everybody could get this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the right. panel, right. the known icing on everything. Uh, and what they're promising now, uh, just, you know, honestly, going to be, it, it's not a big airplane. It's, it, you know, it's smaller than a Citation Mustang. Uh, smaller than a Phenom 100 and Honda Jet, but uh, single pilot, uh, a little under 70 gallons an hour to do 370 knots at 310. Uh, that's yeah. not shabby. No. Yeah. Yeah. no. It was always a cool airplane. It just seemed, you know, they just had so many, you know, so much baggage, I guess is one way to put it. Well, they, they, you know, they had a, um, an unfortunate um, <clears throat> uh, rise and fall. And uh, thankfully, I don't. Thankfully, uh, I don't know. The world, the world might or might not be better off without the Eclipse line. I don't know, but uh, you know, the, at least someone's taken it over and fixed the problems and uh, is carrying the mark on. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the the upgrades and, and fixes, quote unquote, to to the Eclipse have also been just simply software upgrades. A lot of yep. the hardware was, was was there to begin with. It just wasn't really working and talking with other. wasn't working and playing well with other parts of the oh, airplane. Okay, okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, okay, I can see that's it, true though. Yeah, a lot of it had to do with with IFR navigation and mm-hmm. night flying and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what they're what they're offering in the new airplanes. Now, I'm going to go through this real quick and try to keep it simple. Uh, they're going to have things like uh, integrated flight management systems, synthetic vision, enhanced vision, auto throttles, 
and stuff that will make the airplane eligible to fly Part 135, including standalone emergency standby equipment system. Uh, they're saying the airplane will have something called RNP.1 to 1.5, Required Navigation Performance. That means that the flight management system and the, and the, and the navigation sensors can fly the airplane to within a 600-foot position. Mm-hmm. where it's supposed to be, including through curved approaches, curved descending approaches. I hope that's that, I hope really that's slick stuff. The, I hope the 600-foot is, uh, is a in-route, um, uh, in-route in spec and not an approach or terminal spec. That's, a, that's an in-route spec. Feet on, yeah, okay. That, 600 that's feet an in-route spec. Uh, 600 feet on an approach can, can mean a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Approach, uh, approach accuracy is much higher. Yeah, but RNP yeah. for... Uh, uh, arrival and departure procedures in crowded areas where that's 600 foot, uh, yeah. and that's within 600 foot, uh, it's plus, basically plus or minus 300, I think right. that is. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, they're gonna have, uh, required time of arrival navigation software capability, which means the airplane will get messages say, speed up or slow down, ADSB out. ADF, which is still strangely required overseas, uh, and a Wi-Fi-based cabin entertainment system, an Iridium phone, 2.695 million, 2.7 million in this year's dollars. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot of capability, uh, and it that's capability navigation-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, flight management system wise it's just going to get more and more available to to airplanes farther and farther down the scale yeah. because like Jeb said a lot of this is software yeah I'm sorry Deb, Jeb, uh, David just to go back a couple steps here uh, for people not in the know uh, in a paragraph what's part 135 operations really mean oh that's for charter uh, non-scheduled uh, charter work air taxi work uh, it used to be for scheduled uh, airplanes under I think it was 30 seats I see. Okay. Thank you. Um, before we move off of MBAA, well, two things before we move off. First of all, are there any other stories that we haven't touched on that you want to tell us about that are that were big? Anything? Uh, oh, man, you know, we could go a long way down the path on this. Uh, then let me ask you my last question. Um, I, I know that a lot of what you do with these things is on assignment for publications, and as a result, you don't want to talk about it for a while, and that's fair. Um, but uh, can you tell us about any of the airplanes you actually got to lay your hands on? Uh, I got my head, I got to lay my hands on one, uh, and it was a, a very popular, uh, uh, single engine turboprop, uh, capable of being used both in executive and utility roles. And the reason I got my hands on it was to check out the promised performance improvements of an engine upgrade. Um, and at this point, I can say that it, it, it delivered on those numbers, on the promised numbers, and it, it dramatically. And the rest of it, I'm just going to have to leave until uh, first week of December. Okay, sounds good. That sounds great. Uh, but do remem- remember to tell us when these things are in print so that we can all track them down. And uh, Sure. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that, that's a good thought. I sometimes forget about that because by the time they get into print, the the brain's already focused on stuff, you know, six weeks and eight weeks and no, ten I, weeks out. Yes, I do know. I do know. So, yeah, no, don't be afraid to nudge me. I'd be glad to talk about it more when, you know, the owner of it actually has a chance to use it. Yes, yes. Moving on. Um, so this story, 
uh, yeah, I don't know what to make of this story. First of all, I think this story's been floating around for a, it seems like this story's been floating around for longer than a week, but I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. Um, uh, from uh, Wired.com's Danger Room blog, exclusive computer virus hits U.S. drone fleet. Turns oh my out. God! It's by Robbie the Robot. He yeah. as told to Will Robinson. No, no. So this is a, you know, I, I don't know. This story kind of came and went fairly quickly, and I think this is a bigger story than I think it is. Too. I, I do too. There's a, there's I agree a, with you. There, there's something. Looks, give me a break, and they don't consider it a big deal. I don't think so. Yeah, this is like, you know, and they so um, the uh, some portion of the military, I guess the drone forces, whatever they call themselves. I, I don't mean disrespectfully. I just don't know what they call themselves. But whatever that that uh, you well, know, part they're of, not all they're not all one kind of force. Okay, yeah, okay. So. But apparently, a bunch of them, if not all of them, or a bunch of them at one particular facility. All right, um, their computers all got infected with a virus. All right, um, and. Uh, uh, th- these are the computers apparently that are are actually the ones that that, that then send commands to these things and and fly them and 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 they made they've kind of like tried to just kind of you know you know shake this off and say you know well but there was no data loss there was no it was a it was an inert virus it really didn't do anything you know and and I'm I'm reading this article going that doesn't matter the fact that they got in you know just because there was no payload this time that you know of all right um, is uh, this is a huge deal that that and and it's turning out that the story is even bigger than this all right it's bad enough that their IT security was so poor that they got infected. But it turns out that the higher-ups in the military's IT department only found out about this because they read it in the same blog we did. Right. Oh my God! Are you kidding? This is what I've heard. All right, is that the is that the, the 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 guys on the ground? All right, who discovered this this virus did not report it up the chain of command immediately. All right, and uh, so now there's a big big thing going on about the whole you know kind of. Uh, how are they? You know, are the systems really in place? And by systems, I mean procedures in place to uh, to, to guard against this stuff. Um, it, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, uh, what, you know, Jeb, you you said you think it's a big deal too. I mean, you have, what, you know, we've joked about these these drones and flying in in the national airspace. Right. And, no, and, that's not wanting them to fly in national airspace has never been a joking thing. Yeah, well, okay, but we kind of you know talk, talk about Skynet and you know that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, you know, that's that's what true. What do you guys sure. think about this whole story? Am I just cra- is this a big deal? I think it's a big deal. I think it's I think it's you know been been pushed under the rug. Nothing to see here. Move along. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Um, yeah, that's a big, I'm surprised this is even out, uh, in public, A, B, I kind of wonder if, you know, how many times this has happened before, if the guys in the IT shop, um, didn't report it up the, up the chain of command. That's the only reason I can think of that someone would not report that up the chain of command is this is routine. Somehow, somehow this is routine and they didn't need to. And all of a sudden there was a leak and it's now out out in the public. And, oh, yeah, okay, we should. Yeah, okay, we'll we'll put in some new safeguards. Thank you very much for calling. And um, I think it's a really big deal. Yeah, here we go. I found the story. Let me see if I can send you the link to this uh, thing. Oh, you're going to send me something over Skype? I am going to (laughs) try. Let's see now. How do I forget how we do this? Uh, Control C. Oh, I'm sorry. You use a Mac. I'm gonna clean this up and edit this out here. Why? Why can't I not find the place where I, I, I chat? I, guess I can't remember. I can't. I don't like this either. I can't figure this out. 
click somewhere now. Let's see. Um, Be I careful. Am, you could get a virus. Yeah. Uh, here, lower, we, here we go. I got, it, I got it. All right. Now, did that appear on your screen someplace somehow? Yes. Okay. Yes. So this did. is a uh, a later post from uh, also from the Danger Room blog on on Wired. Uh, headline being uh, "Get Hacked, Don't Tell," <laughs> which is get that as of the "Get Hacked, Don't Tell." Uh, drone base didn't report virus. Officials at Creech Air Force Base in Nevada knew for two weeks about the virus infecting the drone cockpits, quote unquote cockpits there, but they kept the information about the infection to themselves, leaving the unit that's supposed to serve as the Air Force cybersecurity specialists in the dark. The network defenders at the 24th Air Force learned of the virus about re- by reading about it in Danger Room. So this is just like this is a, it's a big deal, if you ask me. Here, here's the thing: my reaction to the first story, the exclusive from the Danger Zone, and the way that this peaked and fell, you know, faster than a hobby rocket on a windy day. Uh, they really don't want us paying any attention to this. They don't want the people that did exactly this right. think that it's all that much interesting to them or they're all that worried about it. In the meantime, somebody's out there, you know, busting their bandwidth. Woo. Busting their bandwidth to track down how to do who did this that, and how to yeah. fix that. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the word that was in the back of my tongue, but that's the one that came out. Uh, because... Even if all they're doing is, is, is being subjected to somebody recording their keystrokes, uh, enough keystrokes, you start to be able to put together a picture of things. You align keystrokes with results of something in a media like, wow, we had these keystrokes today and they blew up something in Somalia. There's got to be a connection. Uh, you know, and pretty soon these guys know what our software does, how it works. Uh, and then they start to spoof the actual controllers by putting a more powerful transmitter closer to where the the, the uh, drone is flying, and suddenly it's no longer in the control of the uh, you know of the home team. Well, so, they have to crack the crypto too, and that's I'm sure not going to be a mean feat. Uh, no, but, it's but not. Getting but the, that getting, recording getting these, the keystrokes has got to be a big yeah, help. That's 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 huge. Yeah. Plus, it turns out that a lot of this stuff isn't I'm, crypto. You know, I, I realize this is. Well, I, I gotta think. I gotta think the uh, the. Well, I don't know. I, let's come back to that. Uh, but but getting the keystrokes. Now, this is not a you know this is not an Apple II uh, uh, kind of system. This is I'm sure a custom built system. But at the same time, you know it it runs you know some version of some operating system, and um, you know certain keystrokes mean certain things. To, to and it, it's it's very useful. It can be very useful to the right kind of people, the wrong kind of people. So that I think that's a really really big thing, and and Dave's right. You know, you can you come in there and jam the signal and whatnot. A lot of these signals, I gotta think though, a lot of the the, the transmissions uh, going to and from these are uh, these UAVs are encrypted it, it, and, and digital, and and so you know you're gonna have to uh, break through that uh, that facade or that that uh, that barrier first before you can really take control of these things. But I can't imagine you know anything created by man. Uh, is can be uncreated by man. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So when I said that some of it's this, not, this is just going down a really bad road. Oh yeah, especially for something that we're a little suspicious of in the first place. Um, when I mentioned that some of the times it's not encrypted, what I'm referring to is this is sort of a semi semi famous thing that from a few years back. 
um, where they captured the laptops of some bad guys in either Afghanistan or Iraq. I'm not sure which. They captured the laptops of some bad guys and found on the laptops lots of video from some of these drones. Yeah, yeah but that's that's you can do that on YouTube. I mean... Well, but th- th- my point is that the, the the video downlink wasn't encrypted, all right? Now, maybe that's, that's the only part yeah. that wasn't encrypted, all right? But it wasn't, all right? And they were able to tr- to, to intercept huh. it. Huh. You know, I don't know. I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm well, worried. It, it, and, I, and, and that's what, where what, our, what's, our, our worries merge. Yeah. Well, Jeff, and, go ahead. And what's really frustrating about this is there are some guys living in a cave in Pakistan who know more about this than we do. Yeah, well, well, certainly than we three do, but, you know, yeah, I know. Anyways, we, we, well, it, it, here's some guys, but there's some guys in Afghanistan that have hacked in by recording keystrokes, and now they can get the video live from several drones flying <laughs> intelligence missions know, someplace, and they go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, they're looking at our place, time to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so anyways... Um, big story, and it's kind of come and gone, yeah. and I, I think it's going to be back. We'll we'll hear more about this. But I, uh, I wish I could do it because then I'd have a better chance of knowing when the pizza delivery driver actually left with my pie. There you go. Off field landing of the week here. Let's see now. Ooh, wait a minute, I lost it. Where'd it go here? Uh, so uh, just so you guys know, I've uh, I've uh, kind of shortened the list a little bit. You might want to refresh your browsers. So um, off field landing next? of the week. I'm looking there's at a, a blog. There's a, list. there's a list. Yes, I'm looking at a blog. There's a list. <laughs> it's uh, uh, it doesn't appear to be a blog that's been around very long. It's a blog called Mr. Shoe. All right, um, which is the guy's name. Apparently, his name is David Shoemaker, um, and uh, he's writing about aviation. He's a relatively new pilot, and he started a blog to talk about his excitement and his passion for aviation. Um, and and let me just kind of so one of his posts here is how much does it cost to get a private pilot's license? He's really singing the praises. He's a good evangelist, all right? Now, here's a post from August 22nd, okay? Now, picture that, keep that date in mind. August 22nd, and he writes with great excitement, I bought an airplane, all right? Um, He's relatively new. The previous post was about him soloing and getting his license, and now I bought an airplane, and he talks at some length about the process of buying the airplane and, you know, how why he made his choice, and there's pictures of it. Did he buy a musketeer? Uh, it looks like yeah. a musketeer. Maybe exactly what it is. What okay, it is. I bought an airplane, all right? <clears throat> and um, he's very excited and rightly so, and singing the praises of of aircraft ownership. Here's the sad part: August twenty second, I bought an airplane. The next post was dated September first, eight days later. All right, that post is I crashed my airplane. And in fact, it was not even eight days. He writes in this post just 12 hours after penning my giddiest, my giddy previous post about how I'd bought an airplane of my dreams. I crash landed said airplane in the East Palo Alto Marsh. Yeah. Uh, this is just heartbreaking. It really is. <laughs> this it is really just is. heartbreaking. This guy is so excited about aviation and about owning his own airplane. And uh, in one of the very, very first flights he had in his new airplane, and, you know, I mean, and standard disclaimers apply. It's way too early. We don't know exactly what happened. But he believes that this was some sort of fuel starvation thing that had to do with the, one of the tanks becoming more empty than he realized and and the and the intake onporting or something like that. Um, but uh, a heartbreaking story. Um, yeah. The good news is he was managed to, to land the air, I mean, to get the airplane safely on the ground, although there was, seems to be a lot of damage. Um, uh, he and his passenger both managed to walk away and are, are okay. Um, and... Uh, 
Um, and apparently he's this hasn't broken his spirit because the very next blog post after that was a, a long piece on how much does it cost to own an airplane where he does not factor in crashing it. But uh, it's a very he's very upbeat about this. I, I you know, he sounds like he's going to be a great evangelist for uh, aviation and for flying. But it's heartbreaking that it he really had this is. problem with his airplane so soon after getting it. Well, Mr. Yeah. Shu, you know, uh our heart goes out to you. Yeah. Uh, had had food bars of my own. Yeah. Uh, I understand this. And almost bought a Mouseketeer once. Uh, nice airplane. Lots of room. Yeah. Uh, and flies well. Yeah. You you hang in there, man. Uh, yeah. We're rooting for you. Uh, and if that totalizer is in the next airplane or if this one somehow gets rebuilt by your insurance company and the same totalizer is there – let us suggest that you fill the tanks to the top, then do some right. actual testing to compare what the totalizer is telling you to what the tanks are actually showing. Yeah. Because totalizers need calibration after they're installed. And having done this myself, I understand that it's a little bit of a pain in the horizontal stabilator to actually follow the instructions to get these things calibrated to the precision they're capable of of, of producing. Uh, but the failure to do that leaves the guy who doesn't know they failed to do that with no idea that it may be running slower than it's actually consuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that may me what bit you. Yeah, you have to presume, although it's, it's perhaps not a safe presumption, that the previous owner... <clears throat> Uh, I mean, uh, Mr. Shu didn't install this totalizer. The previous owner installed it. You got to presume that, you know, that it it did in fact uh, had in fact been uh, been checked. But um, you know, there's there's uh, um, there's a, a great example of a good reason to always top the airplane off before you go somewhere. Yeah, I keep, I have to admit, I kept yeah. thinking of that when yeah. I was reading his description of this thing. It's like yeah. you know, he he took off yeah. with way and, less than. And, and, full and I'll and I say that, and I'll probably run out of gas tomorrow. Yeah, but, exactly right. But, exactly right. But, yeah. You know, and, and there by the grace of God go I. Yeah. But uh, it is a great argument. Uh, um, for fill- topping the tanks every opportunity you get. Yeah, yeah. A bit of trivia here. I know this marsh well, the East Palo Alto Marshes. This is uh, there's a marsh in California. Yeah, just up the Give just me a up break. Just upwind from runway three. Well, it was three zero back in my day. It's I believe it's three one now. Um, See that that ranks right up there with you know all all of my all of my. Uh, um, uh, myths, uh, uh, youth, youth-generated myths have been busted today. People t- have sex in front of a video camera. The, the government can't control their own computers. Yeah. And whatever the hell it was you just said, I don't remember. Um, anyways, I know this marsh. Marsh is in California. Marsh is in California. Yeah, no, I know this marsh well. I've looked down on this marsh many, many times when I was uh, uh, climbing out of Palo Alto and thinking that's where I'm going to go if the engine ever fails, you know. And um, it's not the most uh, most uh, uh, attractive looking place to put down an airplane because it's like you know it's got it's it's zigzagged with little. It doesn't look all that bad. It looks like, you know, a nice, you know, it didn't do the airplane any good. Yeah. No, but, I, it's... But, th- you know, the flip side of which here is both of these guys, the instructor and the owner, walked away. Yeah. So, anyways. So, so the airplane did it, its job. And that's part of awful. that's because that little musketeer is built like a beach craft. It's, it's built like a tank, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. our off-field now, Mr. Shue, good luck. We hope you get another airplane. We hope to hear about it. 
Uh, and, and, and if you'd like to come on the podcast and talk some more about this, we'd be happy to have you. Yeah, absolutely. You know one of the great things about Mouseketeers? They're two-door airplanes and a low-wing airplane. Yes, that's, that's right. That's right. The so doors if Jeb on were side. flying, he would not have to climb over his passengers to get out, right? That, right. And it's got a horizontal stabilator, which makes it uber clean compared mm-hmm. to something with an elevator and a, and a, and a fixed stab. That's right. Yeah. Uh, let's see now. T- uh, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. One more I wanted to touch on before we go on to oh, shout-outs no. here, um, because this makes me look like, uh, uh, you know, smart. <laughs> and uh, that is... Oh, is well, a, let's definitely check that yeah, out. Yeah, let's do this one, because it doesn't happen very Are often. Are we going to the House of Mirrors? Yeah, no, this doesn't happen very often. Um, from the forums, a listener... Uh, let's see how I would say this. This is... Oh, how would I say his name? MSA Will. MSA... That's what I'm going with. MS... Oh, oh, Sawhill. That's what it is. M. Sawhill. Sawhill. Okay, here we go. M. Sawhill. Listener M. Sawhill writes in the forums under the headline, Tapping Altimeter. So you remember we were talking about the guy who turned off the engine in his tailor craft and managed to thermal upwards many thousands of feet. And we were commenting on the fact that he kept tapping the altimeter, all right? And you guys, were we were all speculating why he was tapping the altimeter. And my explanation was because there was friction in the altimeter device and he had to tap it in order to get it to read accurately. Um, M. Sawhill in the forum says, Jack, give yourself a pat on the back. You were spot on with your suggestion that the Taylorcraft pilot mentioned in 256 was tapping his altimeter to shake out the friction. Uh, engineers call this friction his- hysteresis plus, de- plus dead band, I guess, something like that. Um, but I pilots- went to one of their concerts once. <laughs> yeah, right. But pilots of old <laughs> gliders uh, call it necessity on weak soaring days. When I was a roadie for hysteresis plus dead man <laughs> struggling to accurately gauge altitude in weakness so apparently when you're when you're going up and down that slowly in an aircraft that does not have the vibration of an engine um you know kind of freeing up the the, the uh, instrument um the altimeter can kind of seize up a little bit it just needs a little bit of a tap a little bit of vibration in order to free it up so uh, so haha i was right that's all anything you want to add to that well, don't get hysteresis over it. Yeah, right. Okay. Shout-outs. What do we got here? Uh, I got one. You guys got any? Really? Okay, well, I'll go first while you guys are thinking <laughs> about it here. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. So uh, we've been I, I in... got, I've got one. Well, if you don't use it. No, no, I, I've got a very simple one, and I, I, unlikely that this is yours. Um, I want to uh, give congratulations to a handful of pilots who have uh, added themselves to our new ratings webpage of fame, um, which is uh, on our website. Uh, we've invited pilots who, who have accomplished some sort of rating or aviation accomplishment to uh, list themselves here, so that we can all uh, bask in the uh, in the glow of their accomplishment here. And uh, kind of going back an arbitrary uh, uh, period of time here, because we did this a few. Mo- few well maybe like a month or so ago and to be honest with you i can't kind of figure out which ones we talked about last time and which ones we didn't so but i just want to call attention to a few here um listener ron klutz from palo alto california the place where the uh, musketeer crashed um got his instrument instructor rating congratulations to ron uh david phil um of stafford regional got his instrument rating uh neil braden who's also known as pilot ngb in the forums um accomplished first solo in ireland congratulations to Neil for first solo. Um, our good friend Comanche Sue from Homestead, Florida, uh, accomplished her glider solo. Uh, Mitch Matheny uh, got uh, his uh, aircraft single engine C at Jack Brown Seaplane Base down in Florida. 
David Klein, who uh, I, I worked with uh, at Acrocamp, was one of the actual campers, was one of the students at Acrocamp, uh, uh, added to the wall of fame, uh, the webpage of fame, that he, uh, while at Acrocamp, accomplished his tailwheel endorsement, which is actually kind of a thing. It's not expected that anybody will get a tailwheel endorsement at Acrocamp. And finally, um, David Black, uh, correction, David Back of uh, Superior, Wisconsin, uh, accomplished his what he describes as his second first solo. Uh, he says he's working on getting his private after 24 years since his first solo. So congratulations to David for kind of getting back in the uh, left seat, and that's great. Congratulations to all these people, the ones I mentioned, the ones I didn't mention. Um, you can add your aviation uh, new ratings uh, to the uh, UCAP uh, uh, new ratings webpage of fame by going to the U, uh, the uncontrolled airspace homepage, and the, uh, the the short version of the list is in the right hand column, and there is a link there where you can add your own to the list. So, uh, congratulations to all these pilots for these accomplishments. That's my uh, shout out. What do you guys got, Jeb? Go ahead. I, yeah, I don't know if it's I don't know which FISDO this is. Uh, um, Flight Standards District Office, FAA Regional Office, uh, but whichever. Fizdo, it is handling Yellville, Arkansas. Probably Little Rock. I don't know. Guys, you need need to get a life. Okay. Um, this is a story. Uh, this is Avweb. Russ Niles, uh, editor in chief, wrote this. Um, uh, thanks to the FAA, there may, may be a little less hooting and hollering at Yellville, Arkansas's annual turkey trot celebrations <laughs> yeah okay okay now this is a traditional thing where apparently they throw turkeys live turkeys as opposed to frozen ones uh, <laughs> yeah out of an airplane and they float down they they fly down uh they, they have an annual turkey drop yeah this is a community of of 1300 people in the ozark mountains um and uh, the event evolve involves wild turkeys being dropped from aircraft Onto the town square, okay, and the bird, the these these particular birds, unlike some others, we'll get to in a moment. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, the, these birds are perfectly capable of gliding to a safe landing. They can okay? fly. They can. The yes, wild okay. turkeys can fly. Go ahead, continue. Yes. So I, I want to thank the, uh, the 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 FAA FISDO, which whoever is responsible for this, and just just give them a kind of a shout out here for really really not having a sense of humor, and and and, and really not understanding that um, um, something traditional like this could probably you know no one's been hit by the, one of these lately, so, a flying turkey as it were. So they could probably do it again without a whole lot of muss and fuss. I, you know, I couldn't but, agree more. But yeah, for a comment. Well, I, let me let me finish. Let me finish. Okay, One last. I'm sorry, that's okay. I, I I just wonder who it is who's been watching TV Land, right? So Here we go. much. Here okay. we go. Uh, to to pick up the old KRP, WKRP in Cincinnati episode. <laughs> okay, where they drop turkeys out of a helicopter. It's a classic. If you haven't, if you don't know this episode, go to YouTube, Google Turkey and WKRP. It will come up. Yes. Okay. It's it's a classic. Watch the whole thing. Watch it all the way to the end. Um, thank you very much. It's been fun. <laughs> it, it and yeah, there the 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 comment is there really is a significant difference between domestic farm raised turkeys right. and the ones that right. live in wild who, not coincidentally, commute through the 
the the woods next to my house every year. Oh yeah, they're going I'd crazy seen, up here. I'd never seen a wild turkey so close before as I stumbled on five of them on a path. Yeah, years ago, and it, I was marvelled at how quick they were off the ground and flying down the path until they were gone. So yeah, no, it's it's the DDT that, that's true up here too. The wild turkeys are are just booming. You every now and then you see a whole you know flock of them wandering around, and uh, and I'm and many birds are are coming back, and I'm convinced it's because. The DDT has been gone long enough that the the bird population is recovering. But yeah, wild turkeys can fly. Domesticated white feathered turkeys that we eat for Thanksgiving, yeah. not so much. Yeah. Right. And if you throw if, frozen if, ones out, they won't get done before they hit the that's ground. That's a whole other if, thing. Yeah. If you if you throw frozen ones out, we will definitely have a conversation. I, I would like to I would like to be at that hearing. Actually, yeah, I know. <laughs> really, there you go. Jeb will bring the dressing. I'll, yeah, that's right. David, what do you got? Uh, two quick ones. One, a reminder of something we spoke of just briefly a week or two ago. October 19th, Wednesday evening, uh, Eastern Daylight Time. It'll be 8 p.m. Uh, or I'm sorry, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Mythbusters. Uh, it's an episode involving fixing an airplane with duct tape. Uh, they use our friends, the Weebies from uh, B-Light Aircraft here in Wichita. Uh, they build a really nice ultralight. Second is a quick shout-out to uh, our old friend Comanche Sue, who I bumped into on the convention floor at NBAA. Uh, yeah. She and her boss, as we speak, are still there working because of tax conferences and things like that over the weekend. So uh, always a treat, always a treat. Uh, see you next time down the road. Cool. Very cool. Anything else, Jeb? No? Uh, I think that's enough. That's Yeah, that's plenty. That's plenty. Uh, Jeb you could Prince. always talk about skydiving in Viagra. No. <laughs> Jeb Burnside. No, 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 no. No, no. Family hey. podcast. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor. They're, Currently. They're- Skydiving in Cialis? Yeah, right. I was going to say, the, the Cialis thing actually has has more <sighs> unfortunate connotations than the Viagra thing. There's just so many so many different things you can use with the syllables in the word Cialis <laughs> than you can Viagra in, in, a con, in the context of parachute jumping uh, that I just, I just you know, let's stick, let's stick a fork in this one. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> At least for the time being, Jeb is con- is serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, Jeb, where can, where can where can people find you on the internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com dot com um, uh, would be a good place to start. JeBurnside dot com is another place. Uh, occasionally up on AEA dot net, occasionally on Avweb dot com, and occasionally on on NakedJump dot org. No, 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 that's not true. <laughs> you made that up. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, Avbuyer dot com, AEA dot net, occasionally EAA dot org, uh, Aviation Safety Magazine, uh, and uh, soon to be on the uh, uh, about to be created co- uh, blog. Hi, my name's Rip Cord. <laughs> he was making that up too, folks. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. And you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. 
We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information Absolutely. on how you, how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Live long. Go fly. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Although skydiving and having sex might be. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. See Alice when you pull the ripcord, the chute opens. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.